Hey, it's Sasha here. Welcome to Dear Seekers, a bi-weekly podcast featuring creative, conscious, and curious women in the city. I seek out these intriguing women, visit them at their homes, and have a little chat in their living room. Well, sometimes in their bedroom. <laughs> super intimate, super intimate. Mostly about how they got to where they are now and the bumps and turns they have encountered along the way, and of course, the lesson and wisdom they have learned as well. These women are so full, interesting, and have thoughtful style. You can visit us at dearseekers.com to peek into their lives and check out their recommendations, like what books they're reading, where to shop antique, what facial oil you might be interested in checking out. Lots of good stuff there. But before getting into today's conversation, I'd like to share something very exciting. We're planning to host our first offline experimental gathering on September 20th. More details to come in the next episode. But for now, please put a little love note on your calendar for this special day, September 20th. Packed up my car, drove to Toronto. I had no place to live, no job. Grabbed a eye magazine once I got into Toronto, picked one up, found a place to live that day, which was like this little dingy basement apartment because it's the only one that I could actually afford. Moved in. The next day, I went to Jacob, the clothing store on Bloor Street. Basically, applied for a retail job. I think I had like three thousand dollars in my account. My mom almost had a heart attack. I actually didn't even tell her until I moved to Toronto, and I said I lived here now. And she cried. I remember on the phone. And then I said everything will be fine. I have a job now. That was Lisa Mock. She is now the global creative director at Canada Goose. What you just heard wasn't about she graduating from school and moving to a new city to try her luck. That actually happened after she already had working a design agency for about five years. With years of experience and many advertising awards under her belt, she left the life she was comfortable living in and moved to Toronto to work as a cashier in a retail store. Why, or better yet, how? We will chat about that. It's not hard to recognize Lisa's spectacular sensibility and talent in design and branding. I don't think she fully knows that, though. Not because she's lack of confidence, quite the opposite actually, but because she really doesn't take herself seriously. She has this soft strength that she embraces quietly. She's resilient, witty, fun, and so wise. Love her so much. I'm sure you will too. Okay, I'm gonna get some water. Okay. Thanks for having me. This beautiful house.、Wow, thank you. No, I'm so glad we can make this work. Um, so you just came back from New York? Yeah, I was just there for Thursday and Friday. We're having a culinary experience event at the Soho store.、Mm-hmm. Um, and you came、yeah. back yesterday or the day before? I came back the day before. Yeah. So you had one day to rest. I had one day to rest. I、yeah. have to share what happened on Friday because I think that was too much of coincidence that I bump into your husband from just stalking your Instagram photos. <laughs> <laughs> you post a lot of.、Uh, You and your husband,、yeah. and that's kind of how I got to know him. But he just came out of the elevator, and I was going in, and I was like, "This guy looks very familiar." And in one second, you make the connection that 
It was your husband. So yeah, he when he was that so was excited. too too much a coincidence. He was so excited like when he came weird. home that he met you. Yeah, it was such it's such a small world. But I really feel like you know, um, especially the last couple of years, like I think who you meet and who you surround yourself with, mm-hmm. eventually all the like all the dots all always kind of connect or mm-hmm. all the stars all kind of aligned and people that should be within your group of, right. you know, um, inspiring community always end up together, which mm-hmm. I find absolutely amazing. And it hasn't been more apparent than the last two, three years right. for me, which I think it's really, really cool. Were you born in Toronto? What was your childhood like? No, I was born in China, mainland China. Then I moved to Saskatoon. So that's where I'm from. My parents are from Saskatchewan. Mm-hmm. And where then in China? In Guangzhou. Oh, so close to me. Oh, is that where you're? Yeah, no, I was raising, I was born in China. Okay. I came here when I was 18. I actually was born in Guiyang. I'm not oh, sure okay. if you heard of that yes, city. Yes. It's near, like near Sichuan. And then I was raised in Zhuhai. Oh, I wow. I moved there with my Beautiful. mom when I was four years old. Oh, such a small world. I know, it's so small. Yeah. So yeah. when did you move from China to Saskatchewan? 19... 1982? So how old were you? I was like... Sorry, not trying no, to review no, your fine. age. No, no, it's fine. I was, uh, I was six and a half. Oh my god. Yeah. Do you remember? Oh, oh, no, not at all. You don't remember at all? So what was your early memories of... Um, well... You know, now you live in this country now, and do you have any memories of China or... I do because my parents now go back there for winter. It's like their version of like of Cottage, Florida. Right? Oh right, right. So they go there for six months. We have a place there. They have you know they have a condo there. So I was just back there two months ago, mm-hmm. uh, visiting family and introducing everybody to Ezra. Um, memories of China when I was young. It's probably even non-existent. But um, going back there reminds me of things that are familiar. But I definitely can't pinpoint why it's familiar. But I kind of like that. When was the last time? I mean, the first time you went back. First time? Oh, I don't remember. It must have been like over 20 some years ago. And then I found the culture quite hard to adapt to after living in a Western culture for so long. So I tend to not, didn't want to go back again with my parents. So my parents go every year. But then this year I said, you know, I think it's time that my family meets my husband and it'd be great for me to kind of introduce myself to China as a I guess as an adult and you know living a life that was very different than when I was younger and the experience was totally different like I actually will go back again culturally like you're more accepting with you know what this is just the way tradition has kind of it's what traditions are kind of built from and and you're much more understanding that you know their perception of let's say beauty is just the way it is right and don't get offended don't take it personally whereas when I was younger and I went back their perception of something like beauty was offensive to me because I couldn't understand why you had to be you know a size zero to consider beautiful whereas now when you go back because I'm a much more mature now emotionally I know to not take that personally so the things like that makes me like China a bit more because I've grown and understand, you know what, it's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, right? So I look forward to going back in a couple of years again and seeing my family and getting closer to them once again. Even though the comments that they make as traditional as they are, I'm much more understanding of why they say the things they say. Mostly. What would they say? It's more like, I think in the past they used to say things to me, you know, if you're not married at a certain age, then you might as well just call it quits. Or they would question, you know, 
why are you not married? What have you done that's made it so hard for you to not find a man? It's always back to me and it must be my issue, right? It can't be anything else. Whereas now, because I am married, I don't get that kind of, I don't get that kind of questioning, which I'm very happy, but I definitely got it when I was young. And then just the acceptance, like it's amazing. Once you're married, people see you differently, even in China and bringing back a Caucasian boyfriend or a husband, right? You're, it's like another like elevation of, you know, not status, but they see you totally different. So I think that's a bit unfortunate, but then it's just the way it is. And, you know, I couldn't be, you know, more proud to have Ezra there and, and be with me and my family loves him. And even though there's a bit of a language barrier, you can tell they're happy that I'm happy. So that kind of understanding and that growth, I think finally has caught up, you know, and like times have changed and even, you know, the perception of a lot of cultural differences or cultural issues are definitely much more international thinking versus very traditional Chinese thinking, mm-hmm. which, you know, I think is fantastic. Creativity has always like run into your blood or your family. Where did it come from, you think? It's a good question. I ask my parents this all the time. I'm like, mom, I'm amazing. <laughs> Where did my artistry come from? No, I'm totally kidding. No, it's weird. Like I've always enjoyed drawing. I loved art, but it never stemmed from like anybody in my past. Like I've asked my mom before, like, did you like drawing? And she's like, no, not really. I excelled at numbers. I'm like, of course you did. Um, no, it's strange. It does not come down from anybody in my family, which I feel special. I feel like maybe I'm like, you know, I'm just special. <laughs> my dad's like, sure, you tell yourself whatever you want. <laughs> so what do your parents do? Uh, my mom used to be a seamstress. Um, okay, not, that, that's kind Yes, of... but very technical right. seamstress. Like she built Muslims and then she built like patterns out of a designer's kind of drawing. Did she ever like design herself? No. Uh, my dad worked in like a cigarette factory when he was in China. So yeah, very much like blue collar type of work, blue collar uh, family. Yeah. And then when my parents came here to Canada, prior to coming to Canada, my dad had taken some courses in like in cooking and chef and food preparation. So when he came to Canada, it was a much easier, you know, decision to go into like the restaurant business because he had that experience already. So what kind of women or men you were looking up to growing up? Um, it's strange. I like softer women. Like I like women that are not in the limelight. I mean, I definitely find women that are strong and you know have a strong pov and is owning like the business world like i find them also like inspirational and i admire them but deep down i've always related more with people that are it's a bit more softer in their thinking in their speech in their approach to life in their aesthetic so anyone i find that embodies that kind of i guess demeanor i kind of end up gravitating to I don't like a lot of pizzazz. I don't like, I can't relate to people that are very, you know, um, in the limelight. I, mean, I appreciate it. I just, I can't relate to them as, as much. I do prefer women that are a bit more reserved, introverted, because I feel like um, they're very insightful in ways that are not overtly seen. Oh my God. That's why I, I share with you, I feel connected to you right away before even knowing you much. 
that's one of the reasons why I wanted to do Dear Seekers is to seek out those gems in, in the city. Women like you are softer or more have that wisdom and purpose in a more softer way. Mm-hmm. The girl boss, boss ladies image are great, as you mm-hmm. mentioned, right? Uh, they're inspirational to, I'm sure, many women. But for myself, I never felt like I resonated with me. Yeah. Um, so yeah, do you have a particular yeah. woman or a group of women or artists or people or women in the creative field that when you're growing up, you were looking up to? Yeah, I mean, I don't have anybody, I think, famous that I can say that, you know, I look to her as um, an inspiration or like a mentor. But, you know, I do have a very, I, I'm very lucky. I feel like I have a a lot of, a lot of great friends and most of them embody these character traits and that's why i love spending time with them and i do have people that are in the media i have people that are like artists that are much more like you know out there and colorful right but every one of these people have a sense of this quietness in them that i love and i find so inspiring so even if someone's on television all the time the one-on-one time that i get with that girl or guy it's it's there's a bit of intimacy that you don't see when he or she's on TV, mm-hmm. and I look for that in everyone that is around me. So I'm really lucky. Like I look to them for great ideas, and basically sometimes just to get my day started or have a bad day. You know, I have people I can call to just chat about life, but in the most quiet and intimate type of conversations mm-hmm. right um like no swearing is necessary <laughs> no like outcries necessary just very calm perspective of life and makes everything so much more um more digestible mm-hmm. and less stressful for me right yeah After finishing her design degree from University of Alberta, Lisa got a job in a design agency in Ottawa. So she moved to the city and worked there for about five years. Everything seemed quite smooth until now. One of my big clients was in the tech industry. Mm-hmm. And during that time, you know, when the tech industry, the telecom industry kind of all lost its momentum because of just how things were going with the economy. The company I was with, the agency, they actually closed down. So I had a choice of either staying in Ottawa and do freelance or, I don't know, do something else. So I packed up my car, drove to Toronto. I had no place to live, no job. I grabbed a, remember iMagazine? I don't no. know. So it's like a Now magazine. Okay. There was one called I. Oh, yes, I remember. Many years ago. Okay. So I grabbed an I magazine once I got into Toronto, picked one up, found a place to live that day, which was like this little dingy basement apartment because it's the only one that I could actually afford. Moved in. The next day, I went to Jacob, the clothing store on Bloor Street, basically applied for a retail job because I had no job, you know, coming into Toronto. And luckily, within a month, I had gotten a full-time job at a design agency here in Toronto. So that worked out really well, but I wouldn't advise anybody doing that. (laughs) But where did you gain the strength of um, just getting in the car and drove here and almost like without knowing much what or expect much what's going to happen here? If I keep staying in Ottawa, I don't know if I will have any purpose because I was pretty much exhausted all opportunities in that city and 
Ottawa being so corporate and, but as you know, yes, it's beautiful. It doesn't allow much for creative direction in fashion lifestyle or let's say even advertising. I had nothing to lose. I think I had like $3,000 in my account. My mom almost had a heart attack. I actually didn't even tell her until I moved to Toronto. And I said, I lived here now. And she was, she cried. I remember on the phone. And then I said, everything will be fine. I have a job now. She was, she was like, well, thank God. <laughs> thank God you have a job. But yeah, like it's, if I, if I had stayed in Ottawa, I think I would have just, I don't think I would have, I would have lost myself eventually if I stayed in Ottawa because there just mm-hmm. wasn't anything there to keep me going. Right. So. So follow her heart. Lisa is now living in Toronto, working as the head cashier at Jacob, making far less money than she did, but just enough to pay the bills. One of my friends was leaving this agency that he was working at, a creative agency, and had asked me, would I be interested in applying? And if so, he could just put my portfolio forward. And and I said, yeah, why not? So did that and went for an interview and then got the job the same day. I actually quite loved working at Jacobs. I love working with all the girls and like, it was just wonderful. So I actually kept doing that part-time while having a full-time job at a design agency. Obviously didn't last very long. I could only do it for another two months and then it just got too crazy. Then I quit Jacob, then, you know, did full-time, full-time at the design agency. And then from there, where did you go after? Then I went to Organic, which was a digital um, agency here in Toronto. It's based out of the U.S. in San Francisco. They had clients like Estee Lauder, Bank of America, all U.S. clients. So I was hired there to be a senior designer to work on those brands. Um, so there for a year. And then my creative director there moved to YNR, which is Young and Rubicam. So when he went there, he asked me if I was interested in moving with him. And, and at that point, I was ready to take another move. So went with him to YNR and then spent almost six and a half years at YNR. Oh, wow. Um, so after I left YNR and I worked at Danier, knowing going there could be, you know, not the most stable because at that point, unfortunately, Danier wasn't doing well. And who would have thought not one campaign could bring them back <laughs> into the Canadian fashion industry? I bought two mannequins from them. Oh, did you? Ab- yeah, after they closed oh, it. Oh, that's amazing. But you know what? My one year there was absolutely amazing. I'm so thankful I got the opportunity to be part of that company because I learned so much and when you know what when the company's closing down and not doing well you gotta do everything right so I was forced to learn so much about the apparel business manufacturing never mind you know the creative part which is what I was brought in to do so it was fantastic when Danier um, unfortunately closed down I helped them wrap up as much as I could and then I decided at that point should I go back to advertising or should I do consulting freelance work then I started doing freelance work it was amazing it was fantastic i love the freedom and i needed that time i needed that break i needed to be emotionally less invested in things if i have a choice now you know maybe i would consider that one day again is to go back freelance the only thing i was missing was a bit of that that passion that creative i don't know what, what the word is but the type of work that i really love doing you know, mm-hmm. i was missing a bit of that and hence my little passion project came came about The passion project Lisa is referring to is a collection of objects she found. She then reimagined and redesigned them, like giving these objects a second chance. You can find out more on her website at lisamock.ca. Mind you though, most of the objects had already found their new homes. I wasn't doing work that I felt like was really fulfilling me, so I started going 
to these, you know, garage sales, you know, value village even, or like, you know, antique stores, and I buy the most ugliest things. And I think, you know, if I repainted this, or if I added, you know, an arm to this lady, or put all these five vases together, they're all so ugly individually, but when we put them together, they're so gorgeous. How wonderful would that be? So I started doing it. I didn't tell my friends. I think the only person that knew was my best friend and then also Ezra. It was more of a hobby, like a passion. Kind of like Dear Seeker, it's a passion for you, right? Um, started doing it, posted online. People started asking me, do you sell these? And then Ezra, at the end of the day, was very practical. I was like, you should just sell it. <laughs> we do need to pay for some bills. <laughs> um, so I started doing it. I still, I never told any of my friends. I started doing it and then, yeah, somehow it got picked up and, and I'm just going to continue and post, put stuff up when I find time and, and not treat it as a business, but continue passion that I'm going to do until like something else comes up. I also think like maybe I should just make new things. I took a pottery class, maybe I just make new vases myself, but then there's so much stuff in this world. You can buy everything these days, right? If there's anything you can like recycle and make new again, why not, right? Beauty is so different for everybody. So if you take something that's already existing and make it beautiful again, why wouldn't you do that? Why would you have to buy a new vase when you can just look at an existing one, but in a different light? Mm-hmm. You know, it's just as beautiful and it's, and it's not mass produced at that point. It's only one of a kind. Right, so I love that thinking. I love, I love that kind of philosophy. Each object on Lisa's website is carefully handpicked and hand altered by her, and she's more than okay with the flaws accumulated over time. This is what she writes: To do anything else would be to deny posterity the beauty of a thing's past. Perfection can be copied. It can be mass-produced. It can be replaced. I think imperfections you can't. It truly is one of a kind, and that's in objects to a handwritten note. You misspell something and you scribble it and you re- and you re- rewrite it. There's something really nice about that because mm-hmm. you're acknowledging a, a mistake, which most people don't do these days. So. I think that's really, really beautiful. And I also love the fact that you can't buy imperfection because no one wants it, right? So, how lovely is that? You know, to have something that you, no one else will have,、mm-hmm. because to you this is beautiful, but to you know, to my husband it might be ugly. So he would never buy something like this, which means I will be the only person that will have have this thing.、Um, yeah, that's why I find so wonderful about. Things that aren't perfect, and there's always time for improvement too, right? When things aren't perfect, you can always make things better. So it's、mm-hmm. a continuous kind of, you know, motivator to keep to keep striving for something,、mm-hmm. right? Whereas when you think it's perfect, then there's really nothing else to really、right. look forward to. That's so true. Already, hundred percent where it should be. Right. And how do you juggle the mindset of enjoying the moment, being content, and at the same time looking forward, set up your goals, have ambitions、mm-hmm. that gonna fulfill you, keep you going? How do you negotiate these two? Because sometimes it's kind of hard, at least for me, 
when I want to do something, I do it right away. Like literally, like this whole objects, things in life that aren't perfect, but let's make beautiful again. Like that happened within three and a half weeks. I woke up one night at 2 a.m. and I said, I have this, all this, all these vases downstairs. I have no idea where it's going, but they're so ugly. What can I do with it? By 4 a.m. I woke up, I started researching on what kind of paints would adhere to this and this and this, you know, what would I have to do? Got the site up and running in a week. Called a friend, hey, can you do some great photography for me? I'll art direct it. He's like, absolutely. Shot the five things that I did and then it was up. So when you have a good thought, just start doing it because the more you think about it, the more you start questioning yourself and then that's when you start looking for perfection. Mm-hmm. Right. The more time you put on something, the more you're like, well, then this might not work out. Well, yeah, but that's okay. You'll figure it out when it happens. I'm very not not irrational, but I'm very um, I don't put a lot of thought into many things in life. I just do it. Hmm. Whereas my husband's very like methodical. He researches. He, you know, he takes his time to make sure it's the right decision. I just do it because I figure you make a mistake, you'll fix it. There's nothing in life that really can't be fixed. I mean, give or take, you know, certain things, but just do it. Because again, the more you think about it, the more you're going to want this to be perfect. And that will never happen, which means your idea will never Mm -hmm. come to life. Right. That is so true. I'm actually more like your husband on this. I research a lot. I think about it a lot. I digest it and I rethink about it. I And then you just, I go crazy during this process. I think that's a really good point of just put yourself in there. What scares me is that what if it sucks? You know, then like, it sucks <laughs> and then you stop doing it. Right? But what other people stop. think, like, I know that's, that's a mean, silly question, but I still think about it sometimes. Of course. And I think the amount of investment that you put in something, if you're going to open up a business, yeah, you can't be like me where let's just go, you know, with the flow. And if you screw up, then you just quit. Like, you can't do that. Um, I think everything in there is going to be some context and some perspective. Like, if the project is a gigantic one that involves other people's livelihoods and stuff, yes, you got to do your research and make sure everything is where it needs to be. But my goals are very, very obtainable. I realize my goals aren't these, like, I don't want to be an actress. I want to be famous. I don't want to be, let's do some pottery. That's a goal for me mm-hmm. because the end object is so much more easy to get than these goals that I might never do. Don't get me wrong. I do have a, I do have a goal that I would love to eventually have happen, but I actually want to ask you, what's your biggest dream or goal that you have? My biggest dream goal is to buy a farmhouse in Tuscany. And why Tuscany? Because I think it's just beautiful and it's so airy and it's free. Yeah, I just I love Italians. I love love that whole country. And it's a very like superficial thing that I love about it. I, I'm gonna admit, like, do I know the political kind of climate? Absolutely not. The economical climate of Italy, I have no idea. But the idea of having a farmhouse in Tuscany that I can build and then have people come and live with me and, you know, where I can hold dinner parties every day or every week is like my ideal dream. The goal before that is to have my own little store. <laughs> What kind of store? <laughs> yeah, I love to have, I think that this goal is much more attainable. It's just having a store where I can just sell beautiful things. That's it. I mean, yes, there's many of those in this world, but I don't really care. I feel like everybody in this world can use more of those kind of stores. You know, you remember, you, you walk down like here in Toronto, like Queen West, there's tons of those stores, but doesn't it give you so much joy walking in those stores? Doesn't matter if you, it, there's five of them in a row. It doesn't matter. It just gives you so much joy. And I just want to keep giving that joy to people. 
it's not it's not killing anybody it's not hurting anybody if anything it just makes people happy mm-hmm. so why not add more happiness Right, right, and you will bring your own perspective oh, absolutely. to it. Absolutely, yeah. And I work yeah. with great collaborators. I mean, I'm so lucky. I'm surrounded by people that are so creative. I would love to do like have their stuff there or treat it as an art gallery space. Like, I don't know, it'd be amazing. How I would get there and do this, I have no idea. But in the meantime, let's do some great little collaborations on on the side. Let's make some beautiful things, and one day it will be situated in a space. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. Why you were talking about it? I actually saw that you already started to visualize it. I think that's great because mm-hmm. you, you probably like think about it sometime, right? All the time, all the time. Um, but you know, like like I said, yes, you know, I'm one to just keep just do it right away. But there are certain things like that I know I just can't quit my job and just do it without thinking financially is it sustainable? And let's be honest, location is key. All those kind of things. Um, but I know eventually it will happen. Like I'm that confident. Because I want it this much. That's what I right. tell my friends when and they tell me they want something. I'm like, you want it this much. You know it's going to happen. Right. You know, you want to get into like the music business. Like you haven't stopped talking about it to me. Mm-hmm. You know it's going to happen because you haven't stopped talking about it. And and yeah, and it's so true. Right. I've heard once uh, uh, if you really, really, really want something and you work on it, the universe will give it to oh, you. Oh, absolutely. Because yeah. you surround yourself with things and people that will help you achieve that. Yeah. Right. I mean, meeting you is like amazing. Like the, the, this, this project is so wonderful. Like, I just know, like, I'm so thankful that and, and so honored that you asked me to. Oh my but, God, the honor was But mine. like, you know, and reading all the lovely like stories and all, all the interviews you've had with these amazing women. Like, I feel like, no, I may not know these people directly, but to be part of this community is absolutely incredible. Thank you. Right. And I think this could eventually, you know, inspire me to do, do the store quicker, perhaps. Lisa may be soft-spoken, but she's full of wisdom. One thing she shares really stuck with me. Set your expectation lower and find a way to marry the dream world with your reality. I get bored really easily, so having these little side projects keep me going. You need the jobs that are going to pay the bills, right? But then the ones that you're truly passionate about, I mean, I have to say, there's a small percentage of people out there that actually can do it and make a great living out of it, unfortunately, right? So I don't need to get rich from my passions, but I do need it. So just have that balance, I think it's really, really important. So it's definitely a, a, a choice just to work full time somewhere, but then have those extra little goodies on, on the side that I can focus on. While having these passion projects and doing freelance consulting, Lisa got a call from Canada Goose. And then uh, Canada Goose had called and they said, you know, we are, we're actually looking for a VP creative director, but we're looking for someone to fill the spot while we search for this person. So would you be willing to come in and maybe do six months? And I had said, well, you know, let's try three because mm-hmm. I might suck and you might not like me and you don't want to be forced with someone <laughs> that you don't like. And they're like, okay, weird. Well, you're pretty okay. straightforward. Oh, because, you know, at that point, I just, being it's, it's amazing. Being freelance and being a consultant on your own, you have so much, I don't know, you, you feel so free in that you can make comments like that and you can be honest about the people that you're talking to. Working isn't a burden anymore. You feel like you actually add value to things. You feel 
much more respected. So I felt very comfortable being so honest. And I said, you know, let's try three months because if I don't work out with you guys, I don't want to force you guys to have to work with me for another three months. And they said, okay. So two weeks in, they had asked me, so would you ever consider going <laughs> longer? And I said, yeah, yeah, but let's finish three months and see. So I was very thankful. You know, they wanted me full time. Um, and then I decided, you know what? It's um, It's been great. It was great to finally take a break from all the little projects because you know, I have to say and knock on wood I was very lucky my freelance was going so well but I have a hard time managing a lot of different clients I like just doing it I don't like the having to project manage have those meetings those conversations and never mind the financials and invoicing I just wasn't good at any of that kind of stuff going to Canada Goose for the three months was an amazing break. I was able to just kind of stop, calm down, focus on one client. You just have to do invoicing for one client. And it was awesome. And so when they asked me if I wanted to come full time, I said, why not? Like, it's been such a great experience. And having such a reputable Canadian brand, you know, want you to be part of their company. It's such an honor. So I definitely said yes. And then here we are. I feel like I ramble a lot. No, no, no. I was like so interested because I, I would never hear anybody would say, I got offered a job and then six months, I actually turned it down, say like sh- shorter, maybe three months. Mm-hmm. That's like first time I ever heard something yeah. like this. Yeah. You I must was... have like a very, of course, as you mentioned, like you wanted to have, be free to make your own yes, decision, yeah. but you also probably maybe very confident at what you could bring on the table. So yeah. if it doesn't work out, you know, that's not the end of the day. Yes. Were you always like that? Or you think that was the confidence that was evolving along the years? No, I was never always like that. It was not until I went freelance that I feel that I can be so open about my thinking and then my perspective on things. It's strange. It's very empowering being your own boss, I have to say. Am I like girl boss type of entrepreneur? No, I'm, I'm definitely not. But a year and a half off from full time, I definitely felt like I didn't have to be part of that corporate world and I didn't have to be so dependent on it. And yes, you need to make money to pay for things, but it's not everything, mm-hmm. right? And you having an interview is the same as you have to think about, yes, you know, will they like you, but do you like them? Being seven years at, at YNR, yeah, I mean, I'm going to be honest, there are days when I'm like, I wish I was not here, but I felt so trapped because I've been here for so long and I needed that, that paycheck. But once I made that commitment to leave, it was so empowering. I pretty much woke up one day and was like, I can't, I can't go back. I mean, Danny didn't work out, but I'm not... I, I, I will not let myself get to a situation where I feel like someone owned me. And it's not YNR's fault or it's not Danny's fault or Canada Goose's fault or, you know, any other company you work with. It's not their fault. It's just your own perspective of how you sit in that organization or in that kind of corporate entity. I don't want to be owned, quote unquote, anymore. And I don't have to be. Like, they're hiring you for your skill set, right? And you can leave whenever you want. But before, I felt very trapped. And then when I woke up and said, hey, I can leave and I'll figure things out. If I didn't get a job at Starbucks, then I will. And that's okay because people really? do that all the time. Yeah. I said, Ezra said, and that's why, you know, like, I think. You oh, were ready for that? If that I was. Really if it what came you down to, to it, I said to Ezra, I'm like, if I ever came down to it, I'll get a job at a coffee shop to pay, to help pay for some of the bills. You know, but that kind of perspective gave me so much freedom in what I wanted to do and what I could do. It was very empowering. 
how did you manage to get your ego in check? Because you have been working with really well-known companies for all these years, and then now you're actually ready or prepare yourself for the worst-case scenario that、mm-hmm. you could be working, or maybe not worst-case scenario, but you. Could take the chance that we working in coffee shop. I don't know. I don't. I feel、There's、like there's no ego because you realize no one knows who you are, right? Like you. Some people think you work in in advertising and you know award winning advertising and you win awards. No one knows about that award except for the group of small community people that actually are in that business. I realize this. You know when I talk about oh when I were when I won this, they're like what. My friends don't know. They don't care. They just care about me as Lisa Mod. They don't care the award that I won, and they don't care that I worked on LG or Revlon or you know Ford or Land Rover. Like no one cares because it's just a job. Yeah, if it's Lisa at Starbucks or Lisa at Canada Goose, my close core group of friends still will just know me as Lisa. Which that's at the end of the day, that's all I really cared about. Would you think your parents would be okay with that? Yes. Shockingly,、um, before no, but now absolutely. I think if I went home and said, "Hey, I got a job at," and not saying anybody working at Starbucks is not like it's not a great job. I think it's a fantastic job, and I'd be lucky if Starbucks even called me and asked me to work for them because <laughs> I can't imagine making even like a normal coffee because <laughs> it's I quite, worked at Starbucks. Yeah, it's、before. quite the skill set, and、yeah. I don't think I would be capable of doing it. But with the right training, hopefully I could. But yeah, I think my parents would be okay if I was like, "Hey, I'm working at a local diner, or I'm working at the you know at the library." I think my parents would be like, "Yeah, that's fine. As long as you know you can make enough to eat,、mm-hmm. you know, your basic survival, then、right. that's fine." How did they made that switch from? Because you mentioned、mm-hmm. maybe before they might not be okay with it now. They probably will be. I think it's just years of living with like having a daughter like me. I, mean, <laughs> I just, I don't think they accepted they, it. Yeah, I think it's just something that they've accepted. Like they accepted, I'm not probably going to not marry a Chinese guy, which I didn't. Right? They accepted that. It's not like accepting. It's just who I surround myself with. You know, I tend to surround myself with a lot of people from many cultures, and and there's a chance that I could marry or not marry. Like. Cultures that's beyond just Chinese men, right? Or Chinese women? Who knows, right? So I think for them, it's just yeah, it's just the way it's gonna be with Lisa.、Mm-hmm. So you did talk about you just want to bring joy to the world to more people. Do you think that's your purpose? No, I don't think so. I think what's your purpose? I think my purpose is just do what you can for the people that that you know and that you can affect. I don't think it's you have to provide something for the people that you surround yourself with. If it's inspiration, that's fantastic. If it's like you babysit their kids, that's fantastic. But you have to know how to give, and then in, in return, you know, you can get stuff back from them, right? Meaning their skill set and their inspirations and and their talents. Right? I think that's what being human should be all about.、Mm-hmm. It's not to like. That pressure on you, like, what is your purpose in in life? Mine is just to live it and make sure that I am purposeful for the people that are around me, and they can use me however they they want. My skill set or like my cooking, whatever, it doesn't matter. But I want to be able to offer something back because in return I get so much too. Great conversations, yeah. Right. It still come down to like you wanted to serve other people, but、mm-hmm. not necessarily have to be this grand idea of purpose of、mm-hmm. like big thing, but. It's about serving the people around you, just、yes. sharing yeah. that yeah. with people you surround yourself with. Yeah, that's why I love having dinner parties. 
I have so much joy doing those kind of things. If I could do it full time, there was a, some type of industry. They have those private dinner parties. Yeah, I mean, that's those are crazy big. I like really, really small ones. There was one part I was telling a girlfriend of mine at work the other day. The dinner party itself, I love it selfishly because I love the decor and I love everything about prepping for the party. But there's one part of a dinner party that I absolutely love. And I don't think anybody even acknowledges this, but... It's about almost at the end of the dinner when everybody's almost done eating and, you know, wine is, is flowing, you know, the table looks like a mess because there's food everywhere, plates are empty or maybe not, you know, the fork is dirty, people are still eating. But at that moment, if you notice, next time you have one, even at a restaurant, there's all these little conversations that are happening and it's absolutely beautiful because you've passed the introduction stage. Mm. You've passed the, hey, Sasha, meet Lisa. And you're like, hey, how's, how's it going? You're, t- you're past that awkward stage. It's one point in time where that conversation is already going. And like we've already chatted for the last hour at that table. And it's absolutely beautiful three seconds because it's honestly it only lasts for about that long because someone really? always gets up and be like, who wants more wine? Or can someone pass me the, um, the bread? And you're like, okay. And then someone stops their conversation and passes the bread or passes the wine. But there is a very short little window during these dinner parties, at least the ones that I have, where you stop, you look, and everybody is just sitting there talking to each other. They're looking at each other. They're smiling. It's so intimate. And then it's gone. And that is like, I look for that in every dinner party I, I have. And it's absolutely so beautiful. And it happens every time? Happens every time. I don't say anything because then if you say something, then it's obviously gone. Um, right. Wow. I never noticed that. Yeah. Probably because it's such a short time, It's right? so short. Yeah. And you look over and you're like, wow, everybody is so, is so content with life right now. They've been, they're in great conversations. They just had great food. And they're just looking at this person or a group of people that are talking to, laughing, not laughing. People don't have time for this every day in life, right? Mm-hmm. It rarely happens ever. So do you actually cook for them? or I do. You- I cook for them. Yeah, I prep the whole thing. I mean, I share a lot of my dinner parties on Instagram. It's something if I could do, if I could afford to have dinner parties every week, I would. I just, I love doing it. I love the wow. gathering of people, but small. I don't like more than like, I think 10 would be the, the biggest I would have. Yeah, I absolutely love it. And yeah, it's uh, it's fantastic to watch them, watch these people integrate and talk and find, you know, great like differences or like similarities. It's just absolutely beautiful. Oh my God. I don't, and I never take a photo of it because I, I want it to be gone because I mm-hmm. want it to enjoy it again the next time. Wow. And I take a lot of photos of my party. <laughs> <laughs> the only saw was on my phone. Um, yeah, but I never take a photo of that. It's kind of selfish things. So I kind of want to just keep it to myself. No, no. Right? I'm like, oh, this is just so beautiful right, right now. Right. That's something that a lot of people don't do nowadays. Mm-hmm. You know, you go into a restaurant, you see people on their phone, you see people taking yeah. photos of the food. You almost like, you're not being content and sharing this moment with the people you're supposed to be sharing. Mm-hmm. Instead, you're trying to share this moment with strangers on the internet and then for yeah. what? For likes? For oh, I, I do that all the right? time. Like sometimes like I try to remind myself, my boyfriend is like, can we eat now? But I realize, wow, that, that it's not fair to the person is there for you because they wanted to share that moment with you. Totally. And you just 
thinking that you want to share that moment with someone else who don't even know you at all. I know, I know. So I, I don't think selfish. I think you actually being really content with that. You immerse yourself mm-hmm. into that that vibe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like if I can have that every day, I would. Because I feel it's very it's a very privileged moment in time that not everyone gets to see. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. So yeah, I could imagine having one of these parties in Tuscany or Portugal or actually not even, I don't even have to be in Italy. I think it can be in like any field, having a farmhouse in any field and anywhere in, in the world and having these amazing kind of gatherings is my ideal ultimate dream. It yeah. actually could be in like Northern Ontario. I think there's some beautiful places here. Buying I can a totally see it turning yeah. into a business though. Yeah. I mean, it'd be great one day if, if, if it, you know, if it got, you know that much following um yeah and you yeah. have your store and you yeah. can host your dinner party amazing yeah and then my husband would, husband would come into the store and be like what's that smell and i'm like it's your money burning <laughs> <laughs> because i'm making none right now i'm just spending it like yeah so anyways that's a long-term goal and I, th- those goals i know you can't just just do it lisa it's one of those things you really have to sit down and that's evaluate so but um yeah like maybe it isn't husky maybe it's just a farmhouse in ontario you know, my husband and I are very much into that kind of lifestyle now. Um, yeah, I would love to just be away from everything. No more Instagram, nothing. Just you come, you enjoy, you leave, and then life continues. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I think one day it could happen. I think it will happen. Yeah. Because I can yeah. see that, as you say, right? You really want something. And when yeah. you're talking about it, I can see that spark in your eyes. Yeah. Like yeah. this, the Dear Seekers thing, like just having this conversation with you earlier, I know it's going to get big. Oh my god! I don't big, know me, about but that. big is very like you know it's very subjective, right? right. What is? I don't even want to be too exactly. Big. Yeah, but big could just be like ten more beautiful women that you're that you're interviewing. Yeah, and that's, that's it, and I you're want. so happy. Yeah, right. Or it could be like mass. You know, Vogue is calling you and asking you, can you do <laughs> something? Right, that could be big too. So, mm-hmm. so I think whatever it's whatever you want it to be, I can totally see it turning out that way. Thank you. Well, that means a lot. No, but it it's really true. Does, like yeah. this whole apparatus here, yeah, for your <laughs> podcast. I'm like, this is this is legit. This is a legit podcast. It's not speak into my phone, Lisa, which I've had before in interviews. They're like just talking to my iPhone. I'm like, wow, this is gonna be great. <laughs> I can't wait to be. So, are you ready for the rapid fire yes, questions? Yes. What's your ultimate favorite film? Top Gun. Really? Oh yeah. my god! Totally Love Top Gun. <laughs> Totally didn't no see shame. that coming. No shame. I love it. I love Tough Gun. I love what do you love about it? Just everything. The planes, like Val Kilmer, them playing volleyball. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Just love that movie. That's so fun. I know. Very random. I know. So now it's going to be like kind of a weird question I ask every person. The scenario is robots and aliens are taking over the world. And then they have one mercy is that every person on the planet can keep three memories. So what other three memories would you keep? Um, Ezra, my parents, and probably that boss. Really? (laughs) We have to take a picture of that boss. No, no, actually, no. Like, definitely um, one of the dinner parties. Okay. Doesn't matter which one. Any of those. Just one. Yeah. And now it's the same scenario, but three truths that you can take, like, wisdoms you can share with yourself after the brainwash, and you can share with others. Oh, don't take things so seriously. Remove yourself from situations when you're not happy and eat anything that makes you happy. Cool. Did a collaboration with uh, Issue 28 and then the three women featured on there had to 
narrow down some、mm. three or less words to describe.、Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna test you as well. Oh, great! <laughs> <laughs> It's a great idea when I didn't have to be on it. <laughs> so nostalgia. It's one word, right?、Uh, three was, or less. Was it three or less? I yeah, that, that was、oh. your your requirement. Oh my goodness!、Um, time, love,、uh, um, Ezra, style, beige. <laughs> Beige, aging, <laughs>、um, wisdom. A city you wish you were born in. That's that's a very hard question. I don't. Maybe Paris, because <laughs> it's so pretty. <laughs> And which era? Oh, seventies. Current favorite fashion designer or designers? Jill Sander. Can't go wrong with that. A love note to your future self.、Um, did I ask these questions? No, this one I, I added. Okay.、Um, love letter to myself. Yeah. Oh, this one doesn't have to be three words. We're already out of that. Oh, okay. Yeah, that one was just till aging. Oh, I see. So, what was the question again? Then a love note to your future self. Future self.、Um, enjoy everything that you see. Wow, that's it. That's it. Wow, <laughs> I was on the sweat there. I'm like, I gotta fix my makeup. Were you? <laughs> I didn't notice. We're quite. Oh, this woman is so amazing. Love her sensibility, her thoughtfulness, and of course her home. Make sure to head to dearsecrets.com to see all the home visit photos captured by my friend Vayu. When Vayu sent me the photos, she told me that she was having such a hard time selecting them, cause they all look great. Well, I'm with her on this. If you like us, hope you do. Leave us a review on Apple Podcast or check us out on Spotify and Instagram at Dear Seekers. This will keep us going, and for women like you to find us and hear great stories. And lastly, don't forget to mark a little note on your calendar for our first experimental gathering on September 20th. So see you in two weeks. Until then. Happy seeking.